Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson from Greensboro, North Carolina. He's a proud Army veteran. He's a devoted husband, father, and grandfather. He was the ninth of 10 children and grew up in poverty. Mark credits his mother's leadership for cultivating a foundation for his faith and an understanding that with hard work, he could achieve anything, and he certainly has. Four years ago, Mark attended a Greensville City Council meeting and stood up for what he knew to be the truth. He gave an impassioned defense of the Second Amendment, and that speech was captured on video. I think it's been viewed something like 200 million times on YouTube. Mark has continued to speak out with common sense conservatism. And as a result, he was elected as the first black lieutenant governor in North Carolina history, an office in which he currently serves. He's now a true hero of hardworking Americans. He's been featured at CPAC here in Texas and on international news. Welcome, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, sir. We are so, uh, you've got a new book out and you're making an impression nationally. You really are setting the stage. People are watching you on YouTube, reading your book and saying, hey, that's what I believe. Yeah, and they were afraid to say it. They were afraid to say it because they thought they'd be called racist maybe, or maybe they'd be called uh, too far right wing. But you're saying and speaking the truth in love regardless. That's right. Uh, you know, that's how this whole thing kind of broke open for me. We went out and uh, like, uh, you know, every John Q. Citizen went down to City Hall and uh, spoke up at a meeting. And uh, the next thing you know, uh, we're running for lieutenant governor. And uh, we just... This, this has just been, a, it's just been an incredible ride. I tell people all the time, my story wouldn't be possible anywhere but America and only with God. So Only with God. Well, tell us your story. Start at the beginning a little bit. It's covered in your book, so we'll just get highlights. But tell us a little about where, where you were born and what your life was like as a kid and then how you got where you are. Well, I grew up in a somewhat non-traditional family. You know, I say that it's a non-traditional family, but certainly not unlike the experiences of many, many people. My mom was married twice, uh, had five children with her first husband and five children with my dad. I grew up uh, as number nine of the total ten, but grew up in a household of, of really five children. Uh, and uh, we had some tough times, very poor. Uh, my father was much older than my mother, and uh, he was retired, and we lived off his retirement and off of us, off of basically off of welfare. Uh, but uh, when my father passed away, my mother decided she wasn't going to live off welfare, and she could have. Uh, she was advised by friends that she could, how much money she could make living off welfare, but that wasn't the standard she wanted to set for herself or her children. She went to work as a custodian at a university, and uh, when she took over, and took the reins of our family. I'm telling you, we went to, to heights we had never seen. It really says standard in my life. It says, you don't need to wait on the government to take care of you. You need to get out and make a living for yourself. The same, same way my mom did, and that's what I've been doing ever since. And like I said, greatest hero of my life is my mom. She really set the standard for us. Well, that's great. You know what? Dr. Ben Carson is sit, was sitting where you're sitting here not long ago, mm -hmm. and he told his story, Gifted Hands, and his mom and they be, he grew up in poverty too, but his mom said, you gotta learn to read, and she is his hero as well. So it's, you know, over and over, the importance of mothers and family. Mm -hmm. uh, government can't raise kids. We need family. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, how did you, you, you taught passionately in churches about Jesus. Mm -hmm. How did you come to Jesus? Well, uh, I actually, uh, I went, grew up in church my entire life. Uh, I tell people all the time that uh, amongst my brothers and sisters and I, uh, we would sit around and we would talk. And, you know, I look back and th think about the deep conversations we had even as children. 
But all of those deep conversations that we had, they all centered around just a few themes, and those themes were what was right and what was wrong, what was fair and what was unfair, and then ultimately what God said about it. And uh, that's just how we were raised, and uh, raised in the church. Even when my mom, my dad wouldn't allow my mom to go to church, but uh, he would let us go. So I went to church from the earliest days, but the one thing that I found that I was missing in church, I found later as a young man, my best friend, who actually lives here in Denton. Uh, he's actually a resident in Denton right now. He invited me to go to a church one day at a student union at the university where my mom worked and where we were attending at that time. And uh, I heard a message there that night, and that was the night that I got saved. That you gave your life to Jesus? Absolutely. So from there to the city council meeting, what was your life like? Um, basically, I was a married uh, father. Uh, um, when I got, I got married pretty young by a lot of people's standards, I, was, I think I was married when I was 20 or 21 years old. Start having, my wife and I started having children. Uh, I was just an average, ordinary working citizen, going to work, just trying to figure out, you know, just trying to figure out a way through life. Uh, worked a lot in furniture manufacturing, a total of about 20 years. Worked in the restaurant business. Which is a for great while. business Absolutely. from North Carolina. Absolutely. Many of many of many folks who came before me had retired from that those in that industry and made yeah. a good living in it. And and I thought maybe that's the direction I would go into, but things turned out not to be that way. I worked in the restaurant industry for a while and also uh, owned a small business. My wife and I owned the daycare center. It was quite successful. Um, uh, but I, I came to find out that what I really wanted to do, my passion was with teaching. Uh, and so I was uh, working in the furniture manufacturing field and going to school full time. Uh, my goal was to become a history professor at the college level, which I still hope to do at some point. Uh, but once I gave that speech at the city council, it just completely changed the trajectory of my life. Well, you know, you mentioned the um, furniture business. Yes. That was a once amazing business, but it got slammed a little bit with economic warfare from foreign competition, didn't it? Absolutely. NAFTA pretty much destroyed the furniture industry. North Carolina was known for its furniture, uh, Thomasville Furniture and others. Uh, they dom those factories dominated our landscape. And now it's so sad when you drive down to those areas and you drive through those once great places and you see them left derelict, uh, businesses gone, jobs gone, the economy around there, uh, those areas depressed, all because of bad federal policy. Uh, I got involved in politics uh, and started becoming politically aware about the time that NAFTA took place. And it's something that's always stuck with me, the, the effects of bad federal policy, how it can come right to your doorstep. Yeah, and the effects, you know, not just for the producers, but also for the consumers. I don't Absolutely. think the quality of furniture we get is anywhere near what it used to Absolutely be. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's yes. right. So your history, this is all leading up to the moment that you step up and say, I've got to go to the city council and speak up. Yes, absolutely. Uh, found out that the city council was trying to cancel the gun show because of events that happened down in Florida, tragic events that happened in Florida, and uh, had to be a part of that meeting. Uh, because uh, we've been doing a lot of politicking online. But I figured when they're going to have this meeting in person, I need to be there in person. And you stood up and it, you changed history and you changed your life, right? Absolutely. Absolutely changed my life. Sure did. Well, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, I'd like to talk politics and what it's like to be a lieutenant governor. So, Lieutenant Governor Robinson, you're, you're there. You're at the city council. They're trying to ban the gun show. What was your message? Uh, well, to be quite honest, when I stood up to speak, I had no idea what I was going to say. Uh, but I think uh, when it was all said and done, God put the words in my mouth. 
And I think the words that he delivered were the words that have been trapped inside the heads of Americans all across the country. And I think he did that because he wanted those folks to hear me say those words, to let those folks know, hey, you're not alone. You're not alone. God indeed put, gave you your rights. And uh, there are others out there who believe like you and think like you, and it's time for you to stand up and, and proclaim to the world that God gave us our rights and we're going to hold on to our rights and we're going to do what we need to do. And so uh, the message we delivered was just simply that, you know, we shouldn't be punished for things that we didn't do. Uh, and this, one of the statements I made in that, sta that, that speech that I firmly believe is that the law-abiding, hard-working American citizen is always that the first one's taxed, the first one's punished, and the last one's considered all the time. You see it time and time again. That's so true. And uh, it's time for the law-abiding American citizen to stand up and say, hey, we're the ones that make this engine go round. We're the rightful, the rightful masters of this place and our destiny. It's time for them to take their places in the political arena. You know, that's a great point. Uh, in fact, I, when I, I, I wrote a book, According to Plan, and we talk about the elites, and I call them pigs. And I really struggled as a Christian. Can I call our leaders pigs? Mm -hmm. And then I realized, you know what? They're not our rulers. That's right. They're our servants. That's exactly right. A and if they're doing piggish things, like animal farm, communism, then we, then we ought to call them out. And you called them out. And then you went and you've written a book, We Are the Majority, yes. which seems to echo the exact same theme, is that you, we're not alone. I feel this way. Tell us about your new book. Well, here's the thing. Uh, well, the book uh, was about two years in the making. Uh, wrote a manuscript, and then uh, it sat for a while. And uh, we, 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 just by chance, we met a, uh, met a uh, publisher. We put in contact with a publisher. And uh, they liked the manuscript. We fleshed it out and worked on it, and we got it done. Uh, and it tells my entire life story from the very beginning up until right now. Uh, but that title, We Are the Majority, uh, we need to reclaim that word, the majority. For far too long, the news media has characterized the majority. They, they characterize the majority as white males in this country. <laughs> that is not the majority. The majority are the people of all races, all sexes, all classes who get up every day go to work, work hard, follow the rules, pay their taxes and all the associated things and try to do the right thing, follow the law and follow the rules. That is the majority. And that is the class of people in this country that is really getting browbeat and really getting run over and really getting taken advantage of and left behind. And uh, that title, We Are the Majority, is for those people to say, hey, you're, you are the majority, stand up, let's take this country back. I'm getting chills because that, you know, that is what a spokesman for the majority. That's why people watch that YouTube so many times. That's why they love you as the lieutenant governor. You know, but Dr. Carson, when he was here, um, said, you know, animals have these very small frontal lobes and therefore, as a result, all they think about is what they see. Yes. And so they judge people immediately by what you look like. And so human beings can judge people by what, they, what you accomplish, what you believe, how you act. And what you just did is the de definition of the majorities, God-fearing, family-loving Americans. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Everybody is included in that. Everybody who believes in following the rules and following the law and doing it right. Uh, people who, you know, those folks out there who believe in standing for the flag, kneeling for the cross, all those things. Uh, that's the majority of the people in this country. The majority of people in this country know the right thing, want to do the right thing, and want things to be great. And uh, in order for us to get this country back to where it needs to be, that majority needs to stand up and speak up and get involved. So what's the minority pushing that, that you 
pushing back on? What is the minority trying to accomplish in this nation that you say, no, we the majority are going to not have that happen? Well, I think the number one thing that we need to keep in place, we need to keep the Constitution in place. When people talk about the Second Amendment being attacked, the only reason why they're attacking the Second Amendment is for the same reason I believe the communists attacked Russia. <laughs> the communists moved into Russia first because Russia was the weakest European nation at the time. They had the greatest opportunity and greatest number of people to control the sphere of influence over. So they moved into Russia first. The weakest link right now for folks in the Constitution, for these folks in the Constitution, is our Second Amendment. It's that low-hanging fruit that they can go after and point out these things through feelings and through passion and through uh, fear. And fear to try to attack it. But that's just the first step. Once they get that Second Amendment, then the first is going, and then the third, and then the fourth, and all the Bill of Rights and the Constitution right after it. That's why we have to be such defenders of the fierce defenders of the Second Amendment, because it's not just about the Second Amendment. It's about the entire Constitution. That's right. Uh, we have got to hold on to that Constitution. And, of course, uh, coupled with that is the rule of law, and we see that going out the window more and more every day. You won't go to jail if you don't steal more than $900. Cashless bail that makes this revolving door of crime, and not just of crime, but of, uh, of, of misery through uh, severe... Uh, people being victimized over and over again by the same folks. Uh, there's a whole list of things that we need to tackle, but those are the chief things that we need to get in order immediately. Yeah, rule of law, that include the border? Absolutely. Without our border, there is no, without our border, we're not a sovereign nation. Every nation has a right to a border. And when that border being wide open, it opens us up to so much danger, not just the proliferation of drugs and gangs and human trafficking, but terrorism and outright attack by foreign nations. Uh, there's no question that's going on. It's been going on during the entire Biden administration. Absolutely. And it, the border towns are going nuts. Then they put people on, on buses and ship them uh, to Washington, D.C. And, and Chicago. And then the mayors there are complaining Absolutely. when they get a handful of people compared to what we get here in Texas. Absolutely. You know, uh, you mentioned the border states. With the border being as wide open as it is now, every state's a border state. Yes. Because we're all feeling the crunch. We're all feel, seeing the ill effects of the proliferation of drugs. You know, I heard a news report that said they couldn't figure out why uh, uh, opioid deaths has spiked so much in the last two years, and they tried to bl blame it on the pandemic. And I'm sitting there screaming at the TV going, it's not the pandemic, it's the fact that we've had a president in office for two years that's let the border be wide open. If the border's wide open, guess what's coming through? Drugs, uh, gangs, and the drugs, uh, uh, gangs and the drugs that they bring with them. So, I mean, it's it's common sense. Yeah, well, the cartels seem to be running the border now Absolutely. rather than U.S. border control. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're standing up on all these issues, and, and I saw you give a speech in church where you talk about the, the nuttiness of, you know, all this gender stuff that's going on. You know, what else makes you passionate? Uh, well, education is a huge part of it. And unfortunately, in education, we're seeing a lot of that stuff being proliferated. But as education goes in any state, in any community, in any nation, so goes that nation, state, or that community. And we're seeing lots of our, our communities and, of course, our nation suffer as a whole because of the lack of true education in this country. Oh, there's no question. We're going to have to take another break. When we come back, let's look toward the future. I mean, you're a leader, and we're going a right direction under your leadership and a lot of other conservatives. Lieutenant Governor, you, you've grown up in America. You've seen the American dream play out in your life. Uh, now we're almost at a crossroads. We're coming up on midterm elections that could determine the future of our country. 
Uh, one path is follow the Constitution, which you are obviously in favor of. The other path is more uh, collectivism, socialism, communism. Uh, tell us what, what we need to be doing, how do we get, stay on the right path, and where's, where will it take us? I think uh, the number one thing that we need to do is we need to, to tell our friends and neighbors about the situation that we face. You know, uh, we talk about, uh, for example, in North Carolina, people call North Carolina a purple state. I don't believe that. I believe North Carolina is solid red. The problem is we don't have the engagement that we need. You look at the numbers of evangelicals that don't vote. Uh, you look at the, the amount of, uh, in some cases, minorities, uh, Hispanics and or uh, black uh, uh, people who do not vote. We need engagement, and I believe if we get that engagement, if we get in front of those folks, if we tell them the message about how conservatism is the answer, about how principles work, but ideas don't, and uh, uh, we Can tell- Can you explain, principles work and ideas don't? Well, it's simple. You know, I'll give you a perfect example. The Green New Deal is an idea. It has very little principle behind it. When, you're, when they ask, how are we gonna pay for this? Nobody knows. When, when asked, how, what effect is this going to have on our economy, nobody knows. When they ask, uh, how is this going to change anything, they can't give a definite answer. Ideas are great. Ideas are great. But ideas only work if you place principles behind them. The idea of the airplane was a fantastic image in someone's head, but it did not become a, a thing. It did not become a working vehicle until the Wright brothers put the principle of lift into action and made it so. That's the difference between conservatives and uh, our, our opponents on the other side of the aisle, our opposition on the other side of the aisle. The opposition, uh, they operate under ideals. We operate off principles. We put those principles into action in North Carolina, and we change the economic future and the economic structure of North Carolina. It, it, the engine is firing on all cylinders. Why? Because we uh, put conservative principles into place. We need to get out and tell people about that. And we need to tell people about who conservatives actually are and stop letting the news media do that. Well, the news media has characterized the conservative as Donald Trump, and he's a racist, and he's a homophobe, and he's all these other things. Absolutely. But the reality of it is you're, con you're a, among the conservatives. I'm among the conservatives. Absolutely. Uh, there are a lot of beautiful men and women uh, of all races that that's are right. conservatives. That's exactly right. And that's the story we need to start telling our friends and our neighbors. And I think if we do that, it will energize the people who are not engaged. And those are the folks we need to be going after, the unengaged. Uh, it's too many of them out there who are not engaged in this process and don't understand that it's, people say, I, I don't do politics. Yes, you do. If you get out of bed, you do politics. As a matter of fact, if you're in your grave, you're doing politics. No matter who you are, if you lived in this place, you're doing politics. And the truth, truth be told, if you don't do politics, politicians are going to do you. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to do you in. No question about that. Okay, so we've talked about the border, we've talked about the economics, we've talked about, I love the ideas versus principles because the idea was NAFTA, but we That's didn't right. really have a principle to put it in place. Uh, how do we make America great? Well, we make America great not by having a revolution, but by having a revival. The difference between a revolution and a revival, a revolution is when you try something new. A revival is when you turn back to those time-honored traditions that uh, give you those results that you know will come from it. We need to go back to the, to the principles uh, that made this nation great. We need to go back to educating our children instead of indoctrinating our children. We need to tell our children that this nation was built by people, good people of all colors, all stripes, all religions, who came together and wanted to do the right thing. Uh, we need to make our, our country business friendly. 
Uh, we need to stop this foolish notion that the world needs to be run according to some climate change science that has proven to it's done nothing but lie to people over the last 30 or 40 years. When I was a young man, they told me there would be no more polar bears. There are more polar bears now, I believe, than there ever has been. Said They told us the ice caps would be melted. Uh, and now we see this extreme push to push everything in that, in that direction. We got to stop doing that. We got to get back to the common sense principles that built this nation and gave us uh, the prosperity that we have. If we go back to those principles, those principles that are based on God's word and based on solid, solid economic and scientific principles that have built the things that we have in this nation, we'll continue to see this nation flourish. If we continue to uh, embrace these ideals of socialism and communism, you can bet that misery is in our future. Well, there's no question about that. I mean, it's, it's communism, I can't name a place that's ever been successful. Yeah, it's like that old joke, that old show, uh, uh, what is it, uh, uh, that little cartoon show where the man has the globe and he's, uh, the man has the doll. He says, show me on this doll where so-and-so hurt you. You know, I could give somebody a globe and I could literally say, show me on this globe where socialism or communism has worked. It does not work. It does not work as, as an ideology. It does not work as a government structure. All it does is bring misery and destruction and death. And it's not working in San Francisco now. Absolutely not. I mean, people are fleeing San Francisco. It doesn't work in Seattle now. No. It, where are the places that, it's, that are working right now? They're, they're all states that believe in exactly what you shared, whether it's Florida or North Carolina or Texas. They're the places that are working. Absolutely. The places that are run by principle, run by those, those uh, time-honored traditions that we've followed uh, that always bring that re desired result. Those places are flourishing. And the places that are running off of these wild-eyed leftist ideas, they are literally crumbling beneath the people's feet. In San Francisco, a once shining, beautiful city, now being destroyed. Los Angeles, the same way. Chicago, the same way. New York City, the same way. Uh, cities in the Midwest or in, um, in the Upper Northwest, the same way. Uh, that's got to stop. People have got to turn back to what works and stop embracing these crazy ideas. And those places that embrace the crazy ideas with this concept, well, we're more, we have greater equality and we're more of this, they're not good for minorities. No. They're terrible for minorities. They actually have, uh, they actually will eventually have, if they continue on that path, they'll have greater equality because there'll be a greater number of people sharing equal misery at the bottom. At the bottom, yeah. And a greater number of people sharing uh, elitism at the top. So, uh, but uh, as far as having true equality, true opportunity, uh, and a true spirit of, uh, of uh, success, no, they won't see that under those ideals. I think there are a bunch of people that want to return to the medieval surf times where you've got the elite and you've got the serfs and they run and own everything. Well, wait a minute. Isn't that what the World Economic Forum is saying? Absolutely. That's the, that's the same premise of communism. You look at the Soviet Union, that's how it was. Those party members, they had all the advantages. The average working person, uh, they were just there to provide those people with possessions. Uh, I don't believe that's how God has intended us for, to be in this nation. I certainly don't believe I, that. I agree with you completely on that. And, and you know what we're facing now is a choice in the midterm elections. You're an important voice and you've got a powerful book. Tell us the name of the book again and where people can get it. Uh, the book is We Are the Majority. It chronicles my life story. Uh, chronicles uh, my so-called rise into politics. And uh, talks just a tad bit about what may be coming down in the future for us. Uh, but it's available on Amazon, Walmart, it's online. It's in stores right now, books a million. Just about any platform you can get it. Uh, and we certainly hope that everybody will go out and get a copy and read it. 
and uh, get to know who Mark Robinson really is. Well, Lieutenant Governor, we so appreciate you coming in the Economic War Room. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, we're going to cover everything that we've talked about with Lieutenant Governor Robinson in our free economic battle plan. You can get it at economicwarroom.com. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.